fellowship with one another and guide this time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today, folks, we're actually going to initiate a whole new series here this summer. And I'm really excited to, to be the first in that Sunday of uh, series. In fact, the guys actually talked to me, the pastors. They said, Tim, because of your credentials, uh, we really thought you should be the one to start off this series. And, you know, as I thought about it, I, I thought they were right. You know, maybe, you know, certain credentials would really lend themselves to my starting this series off. Uh, a legitimacy sometimes is helpful, you know, when uh, it comes to speaking on certain topics. And so, yeah, I, I appreciated their vote of confidence and, you know, really thought that maybe that would be a good thing. Now, most of you probably don't even know my credentials uh, that would allow me to be the one to start this series off. Uh, and so I thought I might explain just a little so you'd better understand and appreciate why they would want me to do that. Uh, but yeah, I, uh, you probably have all heard of the you know, Apostle Paul, right? And uh, it said that he actually sat at the, at the feet of the great Gamaliel, a great big teacher in Israel. And so Paul actually sat at, at Gamaliel's feet. Now, I never sat at Gamaliel's feet or anything like that, of course, but, uh, but I do have a picture to prove that I sat where Paul sat. And uh, here's that picture uh, that you might find interesting. This is in the, uh, the center of the city of Ephesus in Turkey. That's the public restroom. And um, that's the men's restroom. It's still in use today, 2,000 years later, and it was in use in Paul's day. But if I sat where Paul sat, and if Paul sat at the feet of Gamaliel, well, you do the math. I mean, so I uh, totally understand why these guys wanted me to kick this series off today. Uh, anyway, let's, uh, let's move on to the next slide. Uh, you know, we have a, at least five purposes in life. Uh, there's different ways to dice it, different ways to look at that. Uh, these are from this book, Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. Uh, he dices it into five categories of purposes. And of course, one purpose is worship. The great commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And that's, uh, some would say, the only purpose we have in life, is to worship God. But there is a second commandment, and it says to love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, we take that relationship of worship that we pursue, and we try to convey and communicate it to others, and that creates really a second purpose, evangelism and reaching out to other people. A third purpose might be, once we're in a family of believers, God calls us to serve one another. And that's ministry, where we are having a purpose in our life to serve and utilize our gifts to help others. Discipleship, where really God wants us over time to grow in the character of Jesus Christ over time. And then finally, there's a fifth purpose, and that's simply belonging. Being a part of God's family is part of God's purpose for each of our lives. God along, He created us to have a relationship with Him and to join in that uh, relationship with others who are pursuing that relationship with God in a Christian context of the church. God wants that for us. He longs for us to belong to a group of fellow Christians. And so of these five purposes, 
this summer we're going to select that last purpose at this time belonging and that's what I'll be kicking off here today uh, and by the way when you think of these different purposes worship evangelism ministry it's not that God doesn't want us to have fun and enjoy life and it's not all about purpose uh, it was a lot of fun sitting in that toilet seat in Ephesus I really enjoyed it but I would add it wasn't my purpose in life uh, to do that uh, but in any case, these purposes do provide fulfillment for our lives uh, in the course of our lives. And so this is how we've broken down that series starting today. I'm sharing on two basic topics, faith and baptism. Faith really is what initiates us into the family of God. Faith in Christ, we become a follower of Jesus, and we join in with other people who've accepted Christ as their Savior. And that brings us into a family. And then, like today, we'll be having at the McCoys, uh, we demonstrate that allegiance by identifying ourselves publicly with our family of Christian believers in the um, symbolic ritual of baptism. And we'll be doing that at the McCoys today. It's just an outward sign, and we'll talk about that briefly later. And so as we go through our membership series or belonging series starting today, we just want to talk about different subjects that relate to being a part of the firehouse. So next week, uh, we're real privileged to have Dennis and Brad talk a little bit even about the history of the firehouse, our church here, and also the movement of churches that our church firehouse has been a part of. Uh, and we're privileged that Dennis here is really one of the three founders of our whole movement. And then the firehouse is a part of that, uh, a part that Dennis hasn't had as much experience in the early years, so Brad will fill us in on those early years here at the, at the firehouse. Rich will be talking about our purpose and our strategies, objectives as a particular local church. And then three weeks from today, like we did last week, we'll break again into three locations, north, south, central. And everything I've heard, it went great the other day, uh, north, south, and central. So just kind of over the summer, something we want to do once a month is to meet in three locations. And then finally, four weeks, Rich will wrap up our series. Uh, and I'm really eager to hear his credentials for wrapping up the series. They're even better than mine. So I think you'll really enjoy Rich's uh, credentials. Uh, but in any case, that last of the series will be on leadership and our views and thoughts and just perspectives and understandings on that topic. And so that's kind of uh, the uh, basic um, overview over the next few weeks that we're involved with here. Now this is a, is a bee. I have a, a son-in-law, my daughter Erin and, and her husband Paul and Greeley are raising bees now and it's kind of fun to, to see them, to see my daughter Erin in a bee uniform. Uh, but, and it's also fun to hear their knowledge of bees. I, I um, think this an amazing creature. They have different dances and they can talk with one another and uh, they all have a little job to do. It's just, they fly like a helicopter. It's a pretty amazing creature. And I suppose some people could look at that bee and think, 
That's what I want to be as a bee. You know, I want to experience life as a bee. Uh, I'm going to check into, a, you know, maybe an apartment downtown and just hang out there and just be a bee down there. Uh, you know, that'll just be so much fun. Uh, or maybe I'll rent a cabin in Alaska, you know, and just head up to Alaska and just live out my life as a bee up there in a cabin in Alaska. Boy, that just sounds so much fun. You know, uh, you might think like that. And yet, my guess is, you're going to be hanging out with a lot of other bees if you're a bee. And you won't just be a bee all by yourself. You'll be with a hive of bees. You know, how about this football player here? You know, this football player probably grew up from a very early age wanting to be a football player. And it's kind of neat. I mean, he's actually blocking people that don't even exist. I mean, he doesn't even need blocks because there's no one to block. And you know what else? No one even gave him the football. He just had it. And uh, he's just having a lot of fun being a football player. And again, that's kind of, you know, maybe how some people might think. And, you know, he may go to a football camp where he's the only guy there and really enjoy that camp, possibly. But that's really not how it's going to work, is it? He's actually, and this looks like a lot more fun to me, he's part of a team. He's part of a team of football players that are accomplishing something greater than any one of them can accomplish individually. And uh, they're a team. And there's a lot of joy in that, being a part of a team, having a common purpose together. How about this, uh, this little fellow here? That is probably one of the ugliest looking creatures I've ever seen. And yet, you know, there are those out there in the wild that think... Well, kind of think that this guy's good looking, uh, like all these other birds that look like him. And you know, he too, as homely as he is, has others that want to hang out with him. And chances are that's how God's designed most creatures. They're meant to be a part of a group of, of a group like themselves. And certainly we are too. Proverbs 18.1 though warns us, He who separates himself seeks his own desire. He quarrels against all sound wisdom. And even though people have also been designed like these creatures to be together, to belong to one another. Even though that's the case, we oftentimes have excuses to separate ourselves. To go to that cabin in Alaska, for example, that apartment in some big metropolitan city and live out our life in this apartment in isolation. You know, that's just not how God has designed His creatures, especially those made in His image. We've been made in His image, unlike the rest of nature. God designs us to have relationship, committed relationship. He wants us to belong to one another. And granted, that's not always easy. But it is certainly what God desires. Whether you're from Africa or uh, Latin America or China or Europe. People anywhere in the world have been designed to belong. And you know, we're meant to belong. We see it in examples in nature, as we've just looked at. We also know that God himself values relationship. You know, I have this friend, Tony Weedor, who grew up in a, in a Muslim community in Liberia. But he became a Christian because they sent him to Monrovia, the capital, to help him get an education to lead their uh, village of 10,000 people where he would be the imam. But they're uh, going to school, public school in Monrovia, uh, where the Constitution requires you study the Bible. He, for the first time, was exposed to the Bible. And there, in the public school of Monrovia, Tony became a Christian. 
Never saw his father again who would have killed him had he gone back to the village. Uh, saw his mother on one occasion. Uh, but Tony's an amazing individual. And through Tony, sometimes I gain a little insight into the Islamic faith. But in reading the Quran, he said, Tim, and knowing it as well as the Bible, uh, Denver graduate from Denver Seminary now, but Tony said, Tim, in the Quran, God is never, ever, there's no reference to God as Father. Uh, it's only Allah, you know, only God. But of course, in our Bible, we have the prayer, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We refer to God as Father. You know, that's a relational name, the word Abba, Father. And in the Christian belief, God is a trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Even God himself exists in relationship. He's made us as a trinity, soul, spirit, and body. And he intends for us to relate to other of his children uh, in a sense of a family. He longs for that, just as he himself is in relationship with the others of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. And of course, our God became a person. You know, how much more personal than that? Uh, there's no other religious figure that left heaven to become a person or would even claim to be God anyway. But in Christianity, Jesus did say, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to God except through me. Those are Jesus' words, where he claimed himself to be God, but also a human being on this earth. And so God values relationships. And just practically speaking, you know, we see the value for belonging in a group, context with others. There's acceptance when we're together. We experience purpose. We can achieve things beyond what we can as individuals. We experience the strengths of others. Uh, you know, we experience, uh, others experience the strengths that we might have. There's uh, really uh, an ability to, to forgive when we're in the context of, of a larger group of people. Uh, you can't really forgive when you're alone. Um, you may need to, but it's difficult except in the context of relationship. Or sacrificing for others. It's hard to do that if you're not belonging in the context. How about sympathy? How about mercy? How about accountabilities that keep us from even falling away in our Christian faith? Or, you know, what about all of those other great attributes and uh, practical reasons for belonging to a context of, uh, of people? That's what God wants for us. And there's certainly so many reasons for that. Now, the problem is sin. And sin is something that has kind of crept into our lives. It's uh, something that's a part of our lives. Uh, well, look at that. It separates us. It alienates us. It divorces us. It creates a gap between us and others. And uh, that's the consequence of greed and selfishness. And uh, we are unfortunately plagued with a sin nature. Sin will also separate us from God. In Isaiah 59.2, for example, and uh, let's see here, I'm not sure if that, there we go. Your sins or iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins actually have hidden his face from you so that he doesn't really hear. Uh, this is from Isaiah 59.2, speaking to mankind, womankind, uh, all people. This applies to all of us. 
explaining the plight of our situation. We're separated from God. Psalm 51 puts it this way. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. And the psalmist here isn't saying that every little baby that we hear crying back there uh, is somehow evil in one sense, but in another sense, their very nature of that baby crying back there, the very nature of that child, my very nature here, is one of separation from God because of sin. And that sin actually has a history to it. It actually has a beginning. Because when God first created this beautiful earth that we live on, He created two people, Adam and Eve. And they lived in a beautiful place bordered by the Tigris, Euphrates, Pishon and Gihon rivers, uh, right there in Mesopotamia, the cradle of civilization. And it's a cradle of civilization because that's where civilization started in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. And it was a beautiful place, a beautiful garden. They enjoyed relationship with one another, with God, for a time, a brief time. But God really only gave them one warning. And He gave them this warning because He wanted them, uh, He really wanted them to have a free will, to be like Him, not like a robot. And with that free will, they chose sin. Just as the result of one trespass then was the condemnation for all men. This earth itself, all creation was twisted because of that sin. But it was brought about through the choice of one man. Uh, but then this verse continues in Romans chapter 5. Well, so too, also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. And so we're beginning to understand, and the Bible's beginning to lay out the path back to God because of sin that alienates us from others, that alienates us from God. Philippians 2.8 put it this way, being found in appearance as a man, Jesus looked like a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, death on the cross. Now he was commanded, because it says here he was obedient to the call, he was commanded to die on the cross. And we know that he had to die for us to be reunited with our God. That the sin that we inherited from Adam and Eve have created that chasm. Jesus bridged that chasm. You see, Adam and Eve, when they sin, they can no longer pass on to their children yet to be born. What they no longer possessed, which was a relationship with God, that was gone. And so all their children after them, all of their descendants after them, including us, have fallen into that path of sin. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in Christ we might become the righteousness of God. You know, it is just kind of a, an, an amazing thing. You know, if I were to uh, say that I am as righteous as God, I mean, that even beats my earlier credential, I would say. Uh, of course, my wife knows She's back in the hall monitoring though, so. Uh, but my wife knows that uh, I'm not practically as righteous as God. But in God's eyes, when He looks at me, through my faith in Christ, I am as righteous as Jesus. Don't deserve it. I certainly have sin. But Jesus, on that cross, right there, He's hanging on that cross for me. He died on that cross for Tim Kavanaugh's sins. 
For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then it says, and the wages of that sin is death. And so at the cross what we see, not only is God's love, He didn't have to do this, we also see God's holiness. And, um, you know, I think sometimes we like to think that sin is just not that bad. You know, sin is, uh, is not worthy of death. Uh, but in God's standard of holiness, it is. That's how holy He is, infinitely holy. And even one sin will separate us from God. It's like that one link in a chain, if it breaks, even one sin will separate us from a perfect God. And so Jesus came to this earth knowing that we owed a debt we could not pay. He came to this earth and paid that debt by hanging on the cross and offering his life as payment, as the death payment for our sin. And that gift of his, his death on the cross, is offered to all human beings. For any who would accept him as their savior, his death becomes their death for their sin. And that's glorious news and why we can know we're going to heaven because it's not about how good or bad we are. Uh, certainly God longs for us. That's one of our purposes, discipleship, to become more like Christ. He longs for that. But in terms of salvation, it's, it's all what Jesus did on the cross that enables me to stand one day uh, in full confidence before my God. And so God made Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in Christ we might become the righteousness of God. That's one of my favorite verses in the Bible, because I think it just says so much. One man makes, can make a big difference. Adam was one man. He disobeyed God, leading to death. God told him not to touch or eat the fruit from the one tree in the middle of the garden. Even if he touched it, it wasn't that he ate it, even if he touched it, uh, he would have disobeyed God. Eve and Adam both did that, they both sinned. And uh, that tree again was just simply God's opportunity for them to have free will. He said, don't do that one tree, eat fruit from that one tree or touch it. Uh, that gave them a chance for free will. Jesus was one man. He obeyed by dying on the cross, leading to life, giving life to all those of us who rightly should die for the sin we've committed in our lives. So it was the one sacrifice on the cross where we see God's holiness, we see His love. I just want to read a few verses here. The soul who sins is the soul that will die. That's from Ezekiel. Now these verses are in the Bible. And so we're basing our faith not on what we've necessarily been taught in maybe the church we grew up. Maybe we didn't even grow up in a church, many of us. And so we haven't even been taught any of these things. But as Christians, we try to embrace the teaching of Scripture as the foundation for what we believe. I look at a verse here in Ezekiel 18.20 and I realize that I've sinned. Who here hasn't? And then I must realize subsequently, I'm going to need to die for my sin. You know, that's just how it works in God's economy. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everybody has sinned. You know, um, you know I'm going to refer to my dear old grandmother, my mother's mother here. Uh, uh, 
who was a wonderful person, and mom will be the first to say so, I know. But even grandma has, would have sinned. Uh, the Pope, even the Pope would have sinned. Mother Teresa, <laughs> you know, I'm just trying to think of all the wonderful people in the world. There's no one on planet Earth, according to Romans 3.23, that has not sinned. I like this verse, Romans 5, 6 through 8. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. In Ephesians 2, 1, it says that we were dead in our trespasses. You know, it wasn't that we were sick, that we needed a little medicine or something. You're absolutely dead in your trespasses. Totally alienated from God, totally separated from God. Dead is what that word means. Uh, dead means separated. And we were completely separated from God because of our sin. But it goes on here, Very rarely will even anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love for us, that while we were still sinners, while we were still dead in our sins, powerless, Christ came and just paid that price for us. In 1 Corinthians 1.23, But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, foolishness to Gentiles. You know, I think as Gentile thinks it's foolish that Christians believe in Jesus' death on the cross as the ticket for their salvation, you know, a lot of people would think that's just foolish. And I think it outrages their delicate sensibilities. You know, why do we need such a bloody sacrifice? In fact, if Jesus came to our world in these days, we're so much more advanced, uh, we're so much more uh, progressed beyond 2,000 years ago, He wouldn't have to die on the cross. But you know what? That's not true. Uh, you know, because sin never improves upon itself. In fact, it probably just gets worse. Over the years... Uh, Christ would need to die today on that cross too because we need that death paid or we're going to have to die for our sins ourselves. Christ paid that penalty for us. Then in 1 Corinthians 2.2 2, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you, he told the Corinthians, except one thing, Paul said. What would that one thing be? Christ crucified the crucifixion of Christ was paramount in Paul's thinking. The Corinthians were these Greek folks that really valued learning and education and knowledge. But Paul was just telling them, he wanted to keep the record straight, I think. Look, what really matters is that Jesus was crucified on that cross. You guys have a lot of neat philosophies and all, a lot of neat uh, scenarios and so forth. But Jesus died on the cross and then rose again from the dead. That's what matters in our Christian faith, is the cross. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things are gone. We're no longer in that darkness. We've been brought into light. And God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God. And then in Hebrews 9.22, in fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. In the Jewish traditions, the law, they would cleanse things with blood. The Day of Atonement was just a symbolic execution of, a, of an animal. Just symbolism of the ultimate execution that would occur in Jerusalem on the cross. Jesus' death on the cross. But it says, in fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is in God's economy 
There is no forgiveness of sins. There's no other path to God but through Jesus. Jesus said there's no other name given among men. Paul wrote this. No other name given among men by which we must be saved. And uh, truly the reason Jesus is that only avenue is because he's the only one that died, lived a perfect life and then died that death for us on the cross. Colossians 1.13 For He has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and has transferred us into another kingdom, a kingdom of light. You know, this is the moon. It's kind of like that, I guess. Uh, you know, when you think of the moon, it's, uh, you know, one side is always facing the light and the other side is always facing the darkness. And it's like in this world, you're on one side of the moon or the other. You're either in the kingdom of light or you're in the kingdom of darkness. You know, one thing about a moon too, and I never knew this. Uh, how many people think the moon rotates, by the way? Or how many thinks it does not rotate? Okay, there's a few on every, both sides of that coin. Well, it actually does rotate, and I never knew that till this week. I didn't think it did. It actually, its rotation coincides with its 27.5 day journey around the earth every month. So it's rotating as it's going around that earth in its elliptical orbit. And when it's on each end of its elliptical orbit, you see an additional 8 degrees of the moon on each side. So we actually can see 66% of the moon, at certain times anyway. But most of that face, that's all we see is this side of the moon. It's always in light. And the back side of the moon is uh, completely in darkness. And one other thing I learned about the moon this week is the backside looks a lot different than the front side. And you know what? Scientists don't know why. They don't know why that looks like a teenager with uh, acne problems. My, my teenage daughter said I could use that example. But look at this side of the moon. That's the backside of the moon. And this is the front side. Isn't that crazy? Backside? Front side. Man, they are worlds apart. And you know, that's the way it is in life. God says that we are either in the kingdom of light, or we're on the backside of that moon, we're in the kingdom of darkness. And those two worlds are completely different. And I'm not talking about evil, bad people that you see on CSI, and you know, who's that guy, Jack on 24? Jack... Bauer, yeah. Superhero Jack Bauer and all the bad people he kills. Uh, look, it could be uh, people going to church on Sunday mornings. They're in darkness. They're on the backside of the moon if Jesus hasn't died for their sin. If they've not accepted Jesus as their Savior, they're in the backside of the moon. The only way to get on the front side of the moon is to accept Jesus as your Savior because He's the only one whose life was lived perfectly so His death could be utilized as payment for the sins of all mankind. The fi infinite dying on the cross for a finite number of sins. Because Jesus, we believe, is, and the Bible teaches, and He claimed, was God in human form. And so, Jesus is a light in this vast darkness on this earth. And it is vast. You know, when I was a kid, I was pretty optimistic. And I think as I've gotten older... I've become more aware of the darkness of this world. Oh, I'm still going to do my best to have fun and sit on toilet seats in exotic cities overseas if I can. But I will say this. 
uh, it's a dark world. There's just a whole lot of sin in this world and greed and, uh, and sin. It's just very sobering. But Jesus is a light in the midst of that darkness. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word even was God. And He was with God in the beginning. And through Jesus all things were made. Without Jesus, nothing was made that has been made in Him, His life. And that life is the light of all mankind. The light that shines in darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. The light of Christ will not be overcome. And yet, we must receive Christ. We must receive this gift. We must use our will that God so values. We must use it to choose to accept Christ and His death on the cross for us. To those who receive Him, to those who believe in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. You know, that's uh, what we really speak to, to the people in our world. We want them and beg them and implore that they accept Jesus, and that they receive Jesus as their Savior. I was in college when I did that. And even though I grew up in a wonderful home that taught me uh, values, uh, if you were to ask me, as someone did when I was a freshman in college, Tim, what do you need to do to get to heaven? I clenched my fist and I bounced them up and down. And I said, well, if I live a good life, you know, I, I hope I can make it to heaven. And he said, well, do you believe in, in Jesus? And I said, well, sure, doesn't everybody? And he said, well, uh, how are you going to get to heaven then? And I said, well, again, by living a good life, I will go to heaven. Ultimately, he explained to me, Tim, it's not about how good you can be, it's about the sin you've committed. The sin is going to kill you. You can't counteract that by doing more good. You've got to pay that death penalty. And he explained that to me. And it kind of made sense to me. And he opened up the Bible, and even though I believe my church is based on the Bible, he opened up the Bible and shared verses like this, that seemed to point to the fact that I need to accept Jesus and through faith in Christ, death, His death is payment for my sin. And so I, I accepted Christ as my Savior. Uh, it's been about 40 years ago now. In 2 Peter 2.9, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging now to God once you've received Christ, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness and then called you to the other side of the moon, the bright side of the moon. Once we receive Christ as our Savior, we belong. We belong to a giant family of Christians. Did you read that story of that gal from some country in China? And I wish I remembered her name. But she was in prison having converted from Islam to Christianity just a few months ago. She was pregnant and they were planning on executing her. Did any of you see that online? You know, she's, uh, she's in the same club that I'm a part of. You know, worldwide, Christians worldwide, we are one big family. And God wants us to belong to one another in that sense. But more specifically, and most of the verses, whenever you hear the word church in the New Testament, it almost always refers to a local church. The church at Philippi, the church at Thessalonica, the church at Colossae. Uh, Paul said that he got the elders of the church at Ephesus. I mean, whenever you see that word, mostly Christians are about their local fellowship where they are a part of. That God wants them to be a specific 
part of a local congregation of people. And what a joy that really is. And then there is what we call baptism. And baptism is kind of a, uh, something for those who have become Christians that I want to just go over briefly a few high, highlights of this thought on baptism. And then today, I know at the McCoy's there will be some baptisms. If you're a Christian and have received Christ as your Savior, gone from the back side of the moon to the light side of the moon, then God would ask you to be baptized. And that's really just an outward symbolic gesture of what it means to you to be a Christian. And that you're identifying publicly with others uh, in following Jesus Christ. You know, I sometimes have wondered why. You know, why would God have us get wet you know, in a pool? Uh, and I kind of came from a Catholic tradition, which, you know, ritual is a pretty big thing, you know, and I kind of drifted from that. No, no statues and no ritual of sorts. And this seems a little bit like a ritual to me in a way, you know. Uh, but you might wonder why. You know, one insight I had that might play into this, and this is just a theory, but I read this book called Dedication and Leadership by Douglas Hyde. He was a communist who became a Christian. But he said, and he was equating in this book things that were certain similarities between his communist involvement and his Christian involvement. But one of them was, as soon as he became a communist, and he's a college professor, they gave him a stack of tracts to hand out on a street corner. Doesn't matter who you are, what you do for a living, you're on a street corner handing out tracts. And he's handing out tracts about communism, but he's, he equated that with baptism. And he said there was just something about standing on that street corner in a public way, identifying with my cause, that just really drove home, this is who I am and this is what I'm about, uh, in a psychological way. And maybe, just maybe, God knows that we need some kind of outward symbol to drive home the fact of who we are when we take a stand publicly and choose to be baptized as one who belongs to God's family, we're going to stand up and just basically let the world know that that's who we are and what we intend to do for the rest of our lives. So in a sense, perhaps, that's why, but really the Bible only commands it to be baptized. Uh, but, and in Scripture, when you read that term baptism, it will carry different meanings. You'll see where Jesus will be baptized into his suffering. You'll see where some are baptized into fire, baptized into the Spirit, baptized into the water. And you've got to be sensitive when you read that term in Scripture to know what kind of baptism is being referred to. Baptism to stand up to identify as a Christian is a water baptism uh, that we've been commanded to do. It's symbolic. Uh, you won't be saved being baptized, although some would teach that. This is just something Christians do in obedience. But not to be saved. That was done on the cross. It's not required for salvation. The way the scripture teaches how it is just through faith. It, uh, it should be uh, proceeds salvation, comes after salvation. There's a few examples in the scripture of people who've been baptized. These are the only examples that I know of. Uh, one, for example, the Ethiopian eunuch was going down the road. Philip came up, basically shared what I shared with you this morning. But when Philip heard it, he accepted Christ. Right there, that day. Just the, the gospel of Jesus and that he died for their sin. Philip heard that, what I shared today. 
He heard it, he accepted it. They were going down the water, right there on the side of the road, there was some water. And Philip said, uh, or the eunuch said to Philip, what prevents me from getting baptized right now? There's a ditch full of water over there. And uh, Philip said, sure, why not? Let's do it. So he got off their chariot and went down in the ditch and he baptized them right there. Uh, it wasn't a big public there, probably just a couple people. Uh, but he got baptized. He even knew to be baptized. So Philip even shared that with him as well. And then we can go on. It's not restricted to the clergy. It's not something pastors do to their followers in any way. Christians are to be baptized and Christians baptize. Men baptize, women baptize, men and women are baptized. Uh, it's uh, uh, typically done in immersion, biblically speaking. The examples we pointed to, Jesus himself was baptized. That's one example I didn't mention. He went into the river of Jordan and was baptized by his cousin, John the Baptist. Jesus really didn't need to be baptized. But that baptism represents your old life. The backside of the moon is when you're under the water. And then when you're brought up out of the water, you're brought up into that light side of the moon. From darkness to light. Under the water, above the water. It's a great symbol of the change that occurs in our lives when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. And then, finally, you know you are commanded to be baptized. If you are a Christian today and have never been baptized, I'd encourage you to get baptized today at the McCoys, at their swimming pool over there. And uh, we'd be more than happy to uh, have that. Here's the verse, the command. Therefore go, make disciples of all the nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So again, these verses that I share with you today, I think they're true. I think everything I'm sharing today is true. I think it's biblical. But you know, for me to embrace these truths, I had to, I had to leave certain ideas behind when I was younger to come to accept these truths. Um, I just didn't really totally understand it as I do now. But I would hope if you need to embrace Christ as your Savior, you would pray with me as we conclude here today. I'll give you that opportunity in the privacy of your own heart, just simply to accept Jesus as your Savior. And if you do pray that prayer, just let me know afterwards. I'd like to know that you did. Uh, accept Christ. Receive His payment on the cross. Because when you do, you're a member. You belong to Christ's family. And you move from the dark side of the moon to the light side of the moon. You move from darkness into light when you've accepted Christ. And then, that next step is to become a part of a local family of believers where you're also then uh, learning all there is to learn and executing the purposes God has given you for your life as one of His children. Well, folks, what do you say we pray? And please follow me in accepting Christ as your Savior if you haven't. And certainly thanking the Lord that He has saved you if you do know Christ. Lord, we just want to thank you for these moments here together. Thank you that uh, we can belong to your family through what you did for us on the cross, sending Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. Lord, we're so grateful for Jesus. We're so grateful for the cross. We're so grateful that he overcame death and rose from the dead, conquering death. Oh, death, where is your sting? Is not Shakespeare. Oh, death, where is your sting? Is the scripture for those who've embraced Jesus. There's no sting in death.
to be alive, we're on this earth, but the moment we die, as your family member, we're with you in your presence. And Lord, we even look forward to that day as Paul did when he said, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Thank you for that hope you give us through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Thank you that in these days on this earth, uh, there is light and we can belong with others that are in that light and worship you and present you to others. And we just pray that you only continue to bless the firehouse, this church, and all the other wonderful family of churches that uh, we really are all a part of uh, in, uh, as a member of your family. We commit them all to you now, Lord, and guide us. And even if there are any praying today, Lord, I just pray they would follow this prayer. Lord, I've not really come to the point to receive you as my Savior. I think I'm trusting in me to get me to heaven. I want to repent, change my mind to that. And I embrace what you did on the cross. And I accept you as my Savior. I accept your death as payment for my sin. Lord, I don't even understand it all yet. But I'm so grateful that your death has paid the penalty my sin deserves. For those of us that are Christians, Lord, we just thank you. Thank you that we will see you face to face one day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hope to see you later at the McCoys. All right. Thank you.